Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every week we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren Zurchin from the Ink Feather Collective, and this is episode 54, where I chat with best-selling author Adrian Young. So, Adrian Young just had Namesake released, which is the follow-up to Fable, and I was so excited to get her on the podcast because this series has just been everywhere. <laughs> her books have always been really popular, and um, I knew that with how much people loved Fable that I really wanted to get the chance to talk with her about Namesake, and it was such a good interview. Um, we talk about how she wrote the story, um, you know, the brutality of the story, the the gray areas with Fable and the main characters and her family. Um, we talk about how, you know, there was a lot of proactive things in book one, but book two is very reactive and, you know, basically picking up the pieces of the world and things that happened in book one and how Fable has to kind of continue on with things. Um, we also dig into some really fun writing kind of secrets. Uh, she talks about a plot point that kind of came to her that she hadn't even gotten the chance to talk about yet because it's, it's you know, kind of spoilery for namesake. So if you have not read the second book, do not listen if you don't want anything spoiled because I wanted to give her the freedom to dig into those things. Um, and it's totally interesting and worth listening to. So uh, listen to Namesake first and then come back and listen because Adrian just talks about, you know, some of the creation ideas and the story ideas and um, like her writing styles and how she pre-planned things versus, um, you know, changing the script based on how characters acted and just it's just such a cool chat about her writing process the way her ideas came to her and also just the the development of the plot and the story itself so uh, like I said it was a great interview and I think you guys will really enjoy it um, she was a delight to talk to we also talked a lot about uh, we had a really great chat about books we also talk about um, how things in her personal life influenced this book um, and the ways that it affected her. So yeah, there's a lot of meat in this one, guys. Before we jump in, I just want to remind you guys that we have an Etsy shop, which is the Ink Feather Shop. It has a ton of signed author swag from my two author calendars that I did where I photographed fantasy authors and put them into a calendar, which was for charity. Um, we did it through Kickstarter, so there was a lot of swag involved, and I was able to take the leftover stuff that's signed by them and put it in a shop for you guys. So basically, there's almost 30 authors that have goodies in there. Um, there's also sets of bookmarks with the photos and there's also postcards and it's all fantasy photography. So it's really fun to see your favorite authors in get up and garb that they let me dress them in. Um, it was really fun. And like I said, there's a lot of cool stuff in there, including things from authors like uh, Holly Black, Cassandra Clare, Lee Bardugo, uh, Maggie Steve Otter's in there, Lauren Oliver, Cami uh, Garcia and Margaret Stoll. Melissa De La Cruz. So yeah, those are just the girls. I don't know why I did the girls today, but um, yeah, we also have Patrick Rothfuss and Christopher Paulini and Gregory Maguire and Tony DiTerlizzi and uh, Lev Grossman. Um, oh, Tondi. Sorry about the parrot. <laughs> um, yeah, so there are a lot, a lot, a lot of cool people in there and there is signed swag for most, if not, I think all of them. 
Um, yeah, so go check that out. Like I said, that's in uh, Etsy at the Ink Feather Shop. And I also have in our website store, theinkfeathercollective.com, we have a coloring book. I commissioned 20 international artists who are all, I think for the most part, bookstagram artists. So people I had found in like book subscription boxes making the art that we all love in those boxes. And I commissioned them to illustrate my fantasy photography. So it is really cool. They each did two. So it is a like high-end fine art coloring book one page per piece of art tear out pages and it is just such a beautiful project such a fun thing if you need to like escape and zen out you know coloring is really good for relaxing and also like clearing your mind I found especially this past year I've done it a lot um, and so I wanted to kind of bring something to people that they can use and enjoy um, I also have a set of postcards as well which I thought was fun you know during the pandemic we could send some letters to each other um you know you can either send it colored or send it blank and they can color it there are also digital versions and there are digital versions too so if you're international and you don't want to deal with shipping you can have a coloring book right at your door which is nice about the digital because you can print it you know again and again which is fun if you have like kids you want to color with the same one and see who did it differently or whatever um yeah there's a lot of fun options with it but yeah it's all um it's all 20 who for the most part I think there's maybe one or two who didn't but yeah they've all done bookstagram boxes and um, you will recognize a lot of the names if you are into that. You can check that out, like I said, on our website, which is theinkfeathercollective.com and go to the shop uh, and all the options for that are there. So if that sounds fun to you, go check it out. I would really appreciate it. All of your support with these things actually helps run the podcast. These are the things that allow me to get these interviews and to bring you guys this great content. I love what I do and I love being able to talk to these authors with um, for everybody and hear kind of what they have to say about their stories and the creation of it. And um, it is seriously one of my favorite things. And so, you know, supporting these things uh, helps support this podcast. So we also have a Patreon. If that's if none of those things, if you don't want a physical thing, but you want to support us, we do have a Patreon. It's it's not something I am actively doing much with right now. I'm going to hopefully start changing that in the near future. Um, but we do have it and there are a few different tiers. But yeah, if you want to support the podcast in a way that doesn't require something and you just want to support us, then you can go over to Patreon and check out Ink Feather Books over on Patreon and uh, support us that way. Okay, now all of the shop talks out of the way. And I just want to say thanks, guys. I love making this podcast, like I said. And, you know, it brings me such joy to know that people are listening to it and enjoying the interviews and just really get a kick out of what these people have to say because I just find their stories so fascinating. I love reading these books and I love, you know, wondering about the insight of these stories that I fall in love with. And so I get the chance to, you know, chat with these authors and it just brings me such joy and I'm glad that I get to share it with you guys but I just thank you for listening and thank you for your support it really does mean the world to me and um, you know I hope I continue to bring you good stuff in the future but I think today's interview is going to be awesome I think you're going to really love it like I said one more reminder if you have not read namesake probably don't want to listen because there is a kind of plot spoiler that I let Adrian talk about because um, she was really excited to talk about it and I was excited to hear about it and so um, and, and namesake has been out for a week now so you know you have some time sit down grab the book read it and come back and listen because it's I trust me it is definitely worth a listen okay so now after all of that on to the interview with Adrian I hope you enjoy 
Hi, Adrian. Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. We are here to talk about Namesake, which is out March 16th. It is the second book in your duology, your Fable duology, and Fable was out this past fall, so not even that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, a quick, a quick release on these guys. Yeah, it's great. Before we dig into anything, I just want to give a warning for listeners. If you haven't read Fable, you might want to before you listen to this interview. I don't think we're necessarily going to talk like climax spoilers necessarily, but we might. And I don't want us to feel like we have to censor ourselves because we're we're here to talk Mm -hmm. about book two. So... (laughs) You know, if you want absolutely no spoilers and you haven't read Fable, you probably want to at least read book one first. So just to give you a heads up and we won't be talking about like the big end of book two or anything. So just just, you know, just giving people a warning just in case. But so before we kind of dig into super details, do you when you pitch this story, do you pitch like the duology as a whole? Like when if I was to come up to you, after, like when this book two comes out, I'm like, oh, my God, tell me about your book. How would you explain it? It's well, yeah, I kind of pitched just Fable, the first book, because it's really hard to pitch the second book without giving Mm -hmm. away the ending of the first book. But Fable itself, you know, it's it's two books, but it really is one story. And you kind of mentioned before, it almost feels like part one, part two, because they are coming out together so quickly. And there's a lot of like, dual themes in the book that kind of are mirrored between book one and book two. So it really does kind of feel like just a straight continuation of the story. But when I pitch Fable's story as a whole, I always begin with the fact that she was abandoned on an island four years ago by her father. And it was the day after her mother drowned in a shipwreck. And she was left there on this like desolate island of thieving ish characters. And Mm -hmm. she has spent every day since trying to scrape together the coin to get back across the water to find her father, track him down and claim her mother's place on his trading crew. So it, you know, things get complicated and don't go as planned. She is forced to rely on a young mysterious trading crew to get her across the narrows, which is the world that Um, This book takes place in and um, there's a lot of adventure, there's romance, there's a lot of secrets and Mm -hmm. a lot of self-discovery about Fable herself and also about her parents. So it's kind of this multi-layered story in that regard, but at its core, it really is kind of a coming of age self-discovery story about this girl and her relationship with her dad. Yeah, it really... It's funny because you have like surface level tension with things happening, but then there's always this constant like subconscious turmoil that she's dealing with in different ways, whether it's like from her current situation or like the long term things or thinking back or thinking forward. I mean, her head is is a busy place (laughs) in Mm -hmm. these two books. Yeah. And she's been through a lot, you know, like she lost her mom. She's still grieving her in a way. She's trying to reconcile the fact that her father left her, yet she's still trying to get back to him. Like she's she's a complicated character emotionally. And I think she's she really has been really wounded. So it's kind of like there's this whole external, a lot of external conflict going on, but there's a ton of internal conflict as well. I have a note here. One of the things I noticed about the way you wrote her world, 
Now, granted, this isn't necessarily the whole world as as a as the you know the story, but like her actual intimate world is very harsh. And I ve- I haven't often read a book that is so consistently like brutal. <laughs> like every <laughs> choice, it's like even like far into even book one, I was like thinking. No, again, maybe this is because it feels like part one, part two. But I mean, even into book two here, it's like things are so brutal. Her guard is up. It's never really come down. Even when it has come down, it's never really come down. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's incredible how you wrote that and the tension. Was that something when you were plotting it out? Like was that key in your mind or were you just sort of filling in the pieces and that just sort of came as the writing happened? It was kind of both, actually. I feel like when I start a new project, I start drafting a new project. I have a pretty good idea of the feel of the world. I don't know a lot of the plot when I start drafting, Hmm. but I have a handle on the initial essence of the character and then the world that she lives in. So I feel like there was a lot I discovered along the way about this world, but I definitely, when I began writing, I I really did have this feeling of this is like a very high stakes mm-hmm. world. Like people are dying at sea all yes. the time. There's tons of like treachery and scheming and the power dynamics are very fragile. And it's kind of like a dog eat dog world. And then we have Fable who isn't like, she doesn't really mirror that. Like in her personality, mm. she is kind of, she's tough and she's a survivor, but she's soft. Like if, if for anyone who's read sky in the deep, I really like to compare her against mm. Elin because she's in sky in the deep. She's this like tough warrior. She's super angry. <laughs> like she's got a lot of rage and all of that fables, not like that fables. Like she understands her world, but she, and she's willing to do what she has to do to survive in it. But she still has this like softness to her and almost like this optimism, like how she's still going after her dad, even though he left her like point blank, you know, like there's so many people that read these books and they're like so mad at Saint, her father, and they just can't get over the fact that he left her and some of the things he does and whatever. But Fable has this much less black and white view of her world and which is one of the things I really really love about her. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, even what you're saying with her dad, like she's not unaware of his, you know, choices and his his decisions that have made him who he is. And obviously they've mm-hmm. affected her. But like you're right at 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 her core. It's still like, you know, he's my dad. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she has to make those choices. Yeah. And she's not like, she's not happy about things that he's done. And, you know, like she's, she is mad about stuff, but she's still got this sense of like connection to her place in this world as his daughter. And so it's kind of like, that's like her anchor and it's the only one she has. And at the beginning of book one. And so it's, you know, she's just, she's a very interesting kind of character to poise in a world like this where mm. it is so harsh and brutal. Yeah, you're right. Because maybe that's why the harshness seemed so dynamic to me is because we feel it through her and she's not wired that way, like you said. So it was just like mm-hmm. everything. I was like, oh my God, like 
everywhere she goes, she could be killed. And like, there's yeah. nowhere for her to just relax. Even when she does relax, it's like, can she really relax? Like truly, right. you know? She cannot catch a break, man. Oh my gosh. Well, and and it's, it's interesting because you you know, you kind of ramp it up in book two with with the family dynamics and like the intrigue and like the secrets and everything mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, the emotional stuff in book one, because book one is I don't want to say it's a quest book because it's really not. But it's like it mm-hmm. is basically I'm going here to do a thing. And then I also have to go and do another thing is <laughs> basically right. like, I don't you know, she has to find like, oh, sorry, I have to, she has to find her dad or try to get to her dad and then when things happen around that, then it's like, well, then I can go and do this other thing. And, you know, in book two, it's a little less, well, it's out of her hands, a lot of it, first of all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. Like in book one, this, we're very much on Fable's determined journey that she has set out on and things happen to her and things, you know, like I said, they don't go as planned, but we're very much following like, her drive and her like things that she has initiated acts she has initiated and then in namesake she's very much more reacting i was literally about to say book one is proactive and book two is reactive i literally was just about to say that totally yeah and they really serve like different purposes it's necessary in both books but yeah you're you're very right like you do see this like real shift in book two and it kind of has to reveal a lot more about Fable that we didn't see in book one and just her perspective and personality. And also maybe like digging into those truer parts of herself that maybe she hasn't even let herself examine because for four years she's having to to survive and now she has a minute like, okay, that's done now. And now what, Mm -hmm. you know, having to face these things. Definitely. The rose colored glasses are off in, in namesake. Not that she ever had rose colored glasses in this world. It's pretty impossible. But I feel like when she loses a lot of like her hopes and dreams in book one, like she really has to confront more of who she actually is and not who she sees herself as like in book one and namesake, she's like having to really confront like how she is like her dad and (laughs) what of her mom is in her and what does she even really know about her mom and, you know, all of those things. So it, it really is this like journey, this exploration in her own identity, but like from this different angle in book two. I mean, there's even a scene where one of the pivotal character says you remind me of your dad and she's like like I don't know how to handle that like Mm -hmm. she doesn't even like respond because she's like I I can't I can't process this right now I've got other things to worry about like but it was like she was like oh my god because it was you know like do I embrace the side of myself that because he's done all these horrible things and he's the scheming master plotter with the long game but like yeah. And, and actually, I'm curious when you were like plotting, I know you said you don't really have a lot of the plot figured out, but you really had to figure out a lot of little like Easter eggy, detail-y things that like like the long game for these books, like that, writing the, the writing the series or figuring it out must have been really fun for you. It, it really was. It's it's very much what I call like story magic. This whole, this experience that I have with writing where when I set out, I don't know that this stuff is going to happen. I don't know what I'm setting up. So I'll like run across these like plot details or settings or like 
for lack of a better word, a prop in the story or something that I feel is important. Like I run across it in the, in in the draft and I'm like, this is important. Somehow this is going to play some kind of role in this like overarching web of the plot. And I won't know what that is. I just keep writing. And then eventually it's like all those loose threads start coming together and, you know, create this like tapestry of the overarching plot. And with Fable and Namesake, the plot is more intricate than my other two books. My other two books, my first two books are very much character stories, very internal landscape stories of those main characters. And then with Fable, you know, we have a bigger cast of characters. We have a bigger world. We have way more dynamics at play when you're looking at like the social and economical structure of that world. And so it, it kind of was, it took a lot of faith (laughs) is basically what I'm getting at to like keep going farther and farther into the draft and just believing that these pieces that were being set up on the board were going to find each other and like connect in a way that was cohesive. And so for me, my process as a writer is very much discovery. And that first draft, by the end of the first draft, I usually have that big aha moment of like, oh my God, like the clouds open up, the sun shines (laughs) down, the angels sing. And I'm like, this is what was happening all along. And then when I'm revising, that's when I go back and I make sure that things are woven together correctly because it's a, it's a mess, you know, in the first draft yeah. because I didn't know what I was doing. I just, and it's, they are very intricate. Like the, especially this, these two books, like there's a lot woven together here. Yeah, totally. And there's like, there, I, I can't wait for this book to come out because there's one thing that I always want to talk about in fable that was this big surprise to me, but I, it's the thing in the book that I knew was going to be so important, but I didn't know how. And it wound up being the game changer in namesake. And I had no idea. Even when I started namesake, I didn't know. So I feel like once the book is out there and people have read it and I can actually talk about that because it would spoil things. I'm like excited to even have that conversation to kind of use examples of like how this kind of all pieces together in a non-spoilery way, but it's just really interesting. And that's why I kind of call it magic because it does, it does feel kind of like this otherworldly supernatural experience to see like those storylines coming together when you didn't realize that's what you were doing. Well, you know, this podcast is coming out after the book's out, so I'm totally okay with you talking about these things. You know, we did do a spoiler warning at the beginning. I mean, if this is like a pivotal thing you're excited about, tell us, please. Okay, I will. I'm going to go for it. This is the first time I've been able to really talk <laughs> yeah, about it. Okay, I love that. <laughs> so the thing that I'm referring to is Fable's mother's necklace, her the sea dragon necklace in, in Fable. So if you've read Fable, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when this first came up in my draft, I originally wrote it as her when she's in the gambit shop and she's making that trade for West, she happens upon this necklace. She sees it. So I'm drafting the book. I'm like typing away. She's looking through the cases, like trying to, you know, scheme her way into making this trade. And all of a sudden she sees this necklace and I know it's important as the writer. So I follow that thread and I'm like, this is her mother's necklace. How did it get here? And I'm like, this is important. This is going to be like a key piece for her. And I didn't know if it was going to be 
like plot wise or if it was just going to be part of her character development like an emotional thing right i wasn't sure what was going to happen with it but i knew that this necklace was really important and so i you know follow that thread i keep drafting and i get to the end of the book and or later when she winds up needing something from saint and the sales are slashed. She's got to figure out a way to get money from him. She has this necklace and she knows because she knows how much uh, Saint loved Isolde that he would do anything to have this necklace. And so mm-hmm. she uses it against him and manipulates him to get this coin. So when she found the necklace in my draft, I had no idea how she was going to use it later. But it, when I needed something, it was there and it was waiting. And I was like, Oh, this is it. This is the, this is like why this necklace showed up in the first place. So in revisions, I wound up changing it to the fact that she found the necklace in his post, not in the gambit Mm -hmm. shop. It just felt too convenient, but I knew the necklace had to be in the story and it made more sense that she would find it and kind of slip it into her pocket when she's in his office. And also, again, his emotional connection to it, too. Totally. That feels more powerful. Yep. Right, that he would have it. And so I changed it in revisions, but I knew, you know, like, I was like, okay, this necklace, it, it played its role, it served its purpose, and, you know, it wound up being this, like, beautiful little connection and also part of her inner journey and her own, her understanding about her mom and, and her parents' relationship, all of that. So I'm like, oh, great, wonderful. So then I start writing namesake and I'm like getting further into that draft and without like spoiling too much of that book basically she has to go on this new journey and she's kind of forced into it but she also kind of has to make this big choice in order to do it so she sets out on this other journey and I could just feel that I was not done with that necklace and I had no idea Mm. how so I kept like as I'm drafting, I'm like, you know, I know the saint, I know that saint has the necklace now because she traded it back to him. And I knew that it was going to play some kind of big role in this story, but I could not figure out how. And so I just let it sit in the wings and like kept writing, kept drafting. And then when I started getting to the end of that book, it dawned on me and the necklace winds up coming back into the story and it winds up being the basically like the big game changer for her. So like this quest that she's on in the second book, it kind of is the answer to the mystery of everything. And it's also <laughs> the backstory of her mom and why her mom left Bastion and mm. how she came to the Narrows and why she came to the Narrows, why she never went home. It plays into her re- mom's relationship with her family and her past and all of that stuff. And it kind of just came together in this big, like tornado of plot. And I was like, this was it. This is like why the necklace existed in the first place when it first popped in to that draft. When I was writing Fable, I had no idea what was going to happen in Namesake. I had no idea what was going to happen to Fable. I just knew that she's in like deep doo-doo and like is going to have to figure out how to get out. And I knew it was going to have a lot like where the first book she's exploring a lot of like her father and her father in her, she kind of does the opposite and namesake with her mother. And so anyway, if I hadn't listened to that little voice Mm -hmm. when I was writing fable and really held on to that necklace and 
like trusted that instinct, Fable or Namesake would probably have a completely different plot than it does, like the way that it all like played out. So the necklace, I feel like is such a great example of how, like what my process and storytelling is and how I developed the book from like first draft through revisions and then even like expanding on the plot and kind of using Mm -hmm. what I have in that toolbox that like kind of pops up along the way. What a cool story. You know what it reminds me of? Madeline Lingal, the author of Wrinkle in Time, mm-hmm. wrote a – she wrote a lot of nonfiction. And one of her nonfiction books is called Walking on Water. And it, it's about her writing process connecting with her faith. She was – I think she was Catholic. Mm-hmm. But in there, she talks about that, like, bigger-than-yourself connection to your art. Mm-hmm. And she even says, like, you know, she knows she needs a fact about – a ship or something and she happens to find the exact thing she needs at the exact time she needs it and it fits in perfectly and she's like this wasn't even what I knew I needed and it like she talks about that in her book and that like that that process of of the story like needing to be told and you're just kind of the vessel you know what I mean yes and this sounds just like that yes I totally identify with that feeling like and mine isn't per se connected to any kind of like religious faith or anything, but Mm. I do feel like it is something that is bigger than ourselves and kind of transcends. And if you, I'm very fascinated even by just the study, like the sociological and like historical study of storytelling and the hero's journey and like how uh, across time and space and like across the globe, different ancient civilizations that had no contact with each other were still using the hero's journey. Like mm-hmm. they still follow a pattern. And so I feel like even when you go into ancient times, you see this like connection with storytelling that can't be explained. And I, I really just have such a hard time when uh, like people kind of, they like ha- have this view of writing as like you control it all. And you're the you're just sitting there with popsicle sticks and you're like building whatever you want. <laughs> That's not my experience with storytelling at all. Not that you can't do it that way, but yeah, I very well, much identify with that. And that's what I mean. I mean, obviously she she sees it through the lens of her faith, mm-hmm. but it's still that it's still very much not like that is the reason. It's that bigger connection that, like you said, that something beyond ourselves and and just that 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 magic that comes with creating. Because anyone who's a, who creates, anytime you create, even if you're just like coloring in a coloring book, mm-hmm. it's like you lose a sense of time and you have this kind of your mind sort of goes to a different place. So it's really cool that just think like how complicated our minds are as well. Like while you're in your front brain plotting, your back brain's like chewing on the back burner. Totally. Things are stewing back there. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, remember the necklace? It's like the most important thing ever. And you're like, oh my God. Yes, <laughs> I find it so fascinating. And that really is what keeps me in love with writing books. Mm. Like obsessed. I feel like to do this job and to do it long-term, you have to be obsessed with your work. And I think that that key element right there is really what keeps me obsessed with it. Did you have a similar experience with your first duology? Like in that like ideas bigger than yourselves kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I've always felt this way about my writing, Mm. but I, you know, the older I get and the more experienced I get, I definitely Mm. evolve and mature and grow. Yeah not just in my perspective, but in my skill and my craft and all of that stuff. But even with Sky in the Deep, the the big one for Sky in the Deep was Halvard. 
this little boy popped up in this scene that I was writing. I had no plans at all to include him in this story. Like if you've read Sky in the Deep, he's mm-hmm. the little brother of Fisk, who is a main character in Sky in the Deep. And, you know, I knew what was happening in this scene and I'm setting out to write it. And then all of a sudden I look up and there he is. His little head is like poking over the edge of the loft. And I'm like, who is that? Who's this person? And you just walk it into my scene, dude. What's up? Yes. And I had, I had no plans for him. I did not see him coming. He totally snuck up on me and Mm. he winds up being the conduit through which Elin evolves through the entire story. He is like, so central to her inner transformation. And I had no idea he was going to even be there. So then, you know, when I turn around and I'm going to work on a companion novel, really, for Sky in the Deep, I was like, this is his book. This is going to be Halbart's book. So Mm. like I had sold two books. And I mean, I wrote Sky in the Deep well before I sold it. So this like Halvard surprise was something that happened before the, I even knew the book was going to get published. And then I sold it in a two book deal. And then when it came time to write that second book, I was like, this is Halvard's story. And if I had it, if I hadn't paid attention to him in that scene, or I hadn't like trusted that and really allowed him to take the shape in the story that he wanted to take, then we wouldn't have even had the girl, the sea gave back. You know, like it would have been a wow. different book about different people. And it, the girl the seed gave back follows Halvard 10 years later when he's 18 mm-hmm. years old. So it's it's just so funny how those things all work together. It's actually giving me like kind of a goosebumpy feeling. Yes. Because like I, I'm, I'm a photographer by by trade. And so like that art, like connecting with your art, I am like all about that. Oh, yeah. So hearing, just hearing other people when they have that moment, it just it's just like, you're right. You just, it's like the craving of creatives mm-hmm. to like have that moment of clarity or like connection or just deep understanding that this is the art you're supposed to be making. This is the the story you're supposed to be telling. Yeah. And I think readers, readers can sense that even if they would never describe it that way or yeah. understand why they're feeling it. I feel like they do. And even not just readers and writing, I totally agree with you. This just, this is an art thing. It's not a mm. like, act, like certain like vein of art. Like this really does apply to photography or it's fine creative. art. Yeah. yeah. And, mm-hmm. and all of it. And yep. I feel like when people see those photos, like that's what's impactful about them, even if they don't know that story behind the story, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I've heard this from multiple authors. The, the first one that comes to mind with a specific example is like Christopher Paulini has talked about when he was writing like Aragon, mm-hmm. you know, he had things plotted. But then once he actually fleshed out the characters, he had to change the end book because it was like they wouldn't do what I thought they would do. <laughs> yeah. And now that I knew them now, I had to be honest and like true to who they had become and who they told me they were. And it changed the ending of the whole you know, series mm-hmm. because of of him having to stay true to them. And I just found that really fascinating because like you said, it's not just the plotting structure I mean, maybe some people do work like that. But yeah, like you said, there's this magic, there's this extra thing there. It's so Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. And I think that's the mark too with him. I think that's a mark of a writer that has a lot of conviction about their work. Because 
I think there are a lot of writers who would never abandon that end goal. They would, that was the goal. That was what they planned and they're not going to abandon it for anything, you know, but he was willing to deviate from his plan to follow the stories like true nature. And that to me is so inspiring. And I do think it's so it's very possible to write books without this perspective to just be like, and you can write entertaining fun books that find an audience and people love them, but they don't have this same quality. Um, was so, the words that's coming to mind is like sterile yes. or something like, yeah, there's no heart or something. Right. And that, and there are a lot of readers who don't really care about that. You know, like they, they're, they're, they're buying books for a totally different reason they're not looking to connect with the work on that level. There's like nothing wrong with that because those books sell. They make publishing money, which allows the rest of us to buy, to sell our books. And, you know, like all of that. Yeah. So it's all this big machine. But I feel like it's like not even this judgmental thing of being like, oh, I am, you know, so enlightened and deep and like yeah, no. in my approach. And then these other people aren't. It's not that. It's like they're just totally different ways of connecting to storytelling and story. That's really interesting. I've never thought about it this way, but there's, I'm not going to say the name of the author because I know people do love him. There's a major like, you know, guy who's been writing for gazillion years mm-hmm. who wrote epic books and I had never read any of his stuff. And so I read a series that was supposed to be like the series to read or whatever. And I read the, and all the parts were there. Like I should have loved it. But I like had no emotional connection to the books. And I was like, why do people love this guy so much? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's what writing and reading is. Like, yeah. obviously, that's why there's a gazillion books to read. But I just and I wonder if it was like too formulaic, even though it didn't feel that way when I was reading it. I wonder if there was no heart or that that deeper like aha moment or that, you know, magic wasn't there. Because like I said, all the parts were there. I should have laughed there and I should have felt the adventure mm-hmm. there or whatever. And I just like, I, n- I never got to the place where I'm like, this book is awesome. Yeah. So maybe, it's interesting. maybe. And it, and it can also be just like that chemistry factor where like, they're just, there are a lot of readers who are never going to connect with my work. They're just, they're never going yeah. to, it just, I don't speak their language. They don't speak mine. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of like, you can't connect with everybody. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it could be multifaceted even, but it's true. I mean, there's tons of books out there that people like, all my friends love them. And they're like, you have to read this. And then I'll like read it. And I'm like, what was the big deal? And then vice versa, where I'm like, this book changed my soul. And I like, (laughs) I don't get it. And they're like, I didn't even finish it. And I'm just like, so frustrating. (laughs) That is really funny. So you were saying like kind of tying back into things that are like really big for people to connect with. One of the things I thought was really interesting about your book was like the magical element Mm -hmm. that you wrote. Oftentimes I, you know, with with books that are fantasy or fantastic, like a fantasy, fantastical elements to them. The 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 magic is almost like a character, mm-hmm. and because it's got big presence and it's a big but and like it's it's something that's pivotal to this to these books, but it's almost like I don't even want to say an afterthought. That was the word that came to mind, but that wasn't the right word. It's like oh, it's a thing that just sort of sometimes happens, mm-hmm. and it's just like oh, and it's important for this character because Fable has it and deals with it. But I found that really interesting, and I'm really curious why. Was that just something that felt right when you were writing it too about like wanting this little bit of extra something but not making it like 
huge where like everybody had it or there's different versions of it or you know what I'm saying? Like how yeah. magic can be in magical books. Yeah. So I I find that this is the kind of magic I gravitate towards where mm. it's kind of this peripheral magic. It's not this on That's a very good way. Yeah. Yep. It's not this like on the page, the entire plot depends on this magic and yes. we are it's a special, you know, gift of like, whatever, like, I love stories like that. And I I have a project that I'm going to be working on in the next year that has like this big magic in it. But um, I find that more often, I do gravitate towards this quieter role of magic in the world. And it's again, you can see it in sky and sea as well, because mm-hmm. that magic is way more to do with like religion and superstition. And it could be real, or is it coincidence? Are, are they reading into things, but then there's unexplainable things. And it's this, it's yeah. very intangible. And even with um, Fable and Namesake, it's the same. Her The magic in this book is that she does have this like innate sense to connect with gemstones. And, yeah, like extra ability. Right, in a way that other people can't and can kind of like sense them, feel them. But it's not like this big literal magic. I kind of liken it yes. to like a horse whisperer, you know, like... Can can mm, we she's a gem whisper? Yeah, yeah, like can we really explain the connection that horse whisperers have with horses? No, but we see it and we see it on display, and it does feel like this like otherworldly, not natural and not of our world kind of thing. But it's this functional, real thing that exists, you know. So mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people would look at that connection between like a horse whisper and a horse with this like sense of it's like magic, it's magical. And then other people would look at it as like, they just had, they're gifted in that way. So mm-hmm. I kind of like playing with magic like that. And, and like I said, I have other projects that are totally different where there's a lot of, a lot more magic and it's a lot more kind of tr- not traditional fantasy magic but it's handled more traditionally in this in the book that's what i mean like yeah front and center versus and like i said i knew afterthought wasn't the right thing because obviously it wasn't an afterthought but but like peripheral magic is exactly the right terminology for what i meant because i was like huh this is interesting because when i started reading the books you know and i i was like i know these are kind of you know they're fantasy-esque but they're not like loud fantasy so Mm -hmm. what like what you know is it just the fact that it is not our world that defines it as fantasy or is there something else and then when I read that I was like huh that's really interesting because it's it's there but it's almost just sort of like mentioned and then we moved on for a while and then again it's relevant to the plot Mm -hmm. but but it's not like the thing right and it seems like you know depending on who you talk to people have different ideas about the role of magic in fantasy novels. Like a lot of the, if you Hmm. ask some people, they're like, it's not fantasy if there's not magic. And then other people are like, it could be fantasy and not have overt magic in it. So it's kind of also like up for interpretation a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like this gray area. I had Livia Blackburn on like a year or two ago and she has her umber touched. She had like a duology and, and there wasn't overt magic in that, but there was like, 
medicine magic sort of mm-hmm. like the main character had like this innate sense of like developing poisons and venoms from from animals and then they had like tolerances and it was like there was sort of a plague but we talked about that because it was like yeah it's it is a fantasy but it's not like that traditional fantasy mm-hmm. and and it was it was a talking point because it was something to think about you know what i mean yeah and it's it is different i mean the majority especially when we're looking at the young adult market the yeah. majority is this like this girl can control storms or this girl, you know, this guy can create gold from rocks. You know, it's just this very like, this is the magic. Here's exactly how it works. And there's a whole system for the magic and all of that. And so then you kind of like, when you approach it in this other way, I think it, it feels mm. different. It definitely does. Yeah. So it kind of has this different vibe. I liked it. I, I think that was it was really enjoyable to read. And again, I'm at, this is a sci-fi fantasy podcast, so mm-hmm. I read a lot of fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so it was fun to kind of feel it in a different way, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. So you're at the end of this duology now, and you've told Fable's story. Looking back on writing these books, and you said earlier, like there were dual themes and that, you know, we ha- were in her head a lot. You know, she has things with trust. Is there like one thing overall that was the most impactful for you with writing these books, like in regards to Fable's journey, just like Mm -hmm. looking back being like, I'm really glad that this is the journey we went on. Yeah, I so I talk about this quite a bit, but I got this idea for this story just a few weeks after my dad passed away. And so I, you know, at the time didn't make this connection, but how this story first came to me, what it usually stories come to me like in a picture, like a scene sort of that I don't really know what's going on, but it's very visceral and visual. And this particular image in my head was this girl standing on a beach and she's watching this ship sail away. And I know her dad is on it and I know he's not coming back and he's Mm. left her there. And so at the time I didn't make that like very literal connection there. Yeah. But in retrospect, I'm like, oh my God, that that's exactly where it came from, right? Like my dad had just passed away. I was grappling with that grief and trying to wrap my head around it in this mm-hmm. feeling, the permanence of losing a parent and losing anyone, you know, um, it just, they're not coming back. And I was like kind of in the throes of this process of, you know, the aftermath of his death. And that's when I was like really developing the story. And I usually let books, stories like develop in my head for quite a while before I start writing them. So Fable took even longer than usual because right after I got that idea is when I sold Sky. So then I went on this like roller coaster ride of like entering publication, becoming an author, starting my career, all of that. And I had to write The Girl the Sea Gave Back. But as soon as I finished The Girl the Sea Gave Back, I immediately started writing Fable. It had just been waiting there for a couple years, mm. waiting to get written. And I feel like it's so like fortunate that that space between the idea and writing it was there because I feel like I was at a totally different part of my grief process by then. And I was actually ready to dig into that. So I, there's a lot of things in the book that really was inspired by my dad and uh, my relationship with my dad. He, he was a very complicated, mysterious man 
And we had a lot of challenges in our relationship. And there were just a lot of things that I didn't understand about him or things I didn't even know about him, like facts I didn't know about him until after he had died. Hmm. So I feel like I know that writing fable was me working all of that out, just like fleshing it all out on the page. And Saint is not literally based on my dad and Fable and Saint's relationship is not literally based on mine and my dad's relationship. But that's why that that book is dedicated to him too, Hmm. is because I was very much like digging into all of this stuff that I had been kind of afraid to touch for a long time. And it kind of became this very therapeutic like experience to just do it all on the page, like through these characters. So that was the biggest thing. And then when I started on namesake, I knew the lens was really going to focus toward her mom and who her mom was and the role she played and like who fable came to be and all of that. And even her mom's backstory. So I feel like this is, I I kind of, as the writer was going through these experiences of kind of like seeing my own parents in a different light, seeing how much they really are in me and like how like things that I have like inherited from them and like seeing myself in them and vice versa. So it kind of was like, and I, I do this with every book. I'm always working something out in a book and like grappling with something and whatever, just like chewing on something, some like big life question or whatever. And for this, it just, I think the reason all of these dots connected so serendipitously is because it was just this perfect storm of like the timing where I was at in my life and emotionally and all of that. And then also like how the story came together. Yeah. I mean, those are big emotions and and what a great way to help process them is through a, through a lens that's kind of safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because you can, you can see them, but they're slightly removed from you, even though they are connected to you. So that, that makes a lot of sense and allows you to see them differently or see them in a way that is more helpful, perhaps. So it's really Mm -hmm. interesting. I wasn't expecting an answer like that. That was very (laughs) cool. Like, interesting, like such deep personal connection to, you know, the story because, you know, it, it's it's done now. And I was just curious now that the books, I mean, we're recording a couple of weeks before the book comes out, but this will be published afterwards. So now, you know, the book's out in the world, essentially, you know, and Fable's story is now released. It's no longer just your own. Yeah. You know? And there's a there's a moment at the end of Namesake, toward the end of Namesake, that was just so, I feel like the moment I wrote it, it was like so much closure. Like I just got so mm. much closure in my own process and grief and, you know, just having the books out there and complete, I just feel like it's always going to be this very special experience and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have the privilege of having with every project. Like it just doesn't, it wouldn't be special, right? If every project was like that, but I do feel like they're kind of like little time capsules where there was just a real connection between me and the story and like the time and all of that. So, I mean, they're very, very special to me. I love them so much. I love this duology so much. And I, I do think that that, you know, a lot of people have connected on a deep level with fable 
And I think that's why. I think even though I'm not spelling things out for the reader, I think that people mm-hmm. are connecting with like her pain and her process. And that is like, to me, there's like nothing better than that as a writer. Oh my gosh. That's lovely. Yeah. You mentioned that you're working on a more magic book now. Mm-hmm. What are What's in the works for you in the future? So I'm working on a big secret right now. And um, <laughs> I'm hoping, oh my gosh, I'm like asking my team every week, like, when can we announce this? But I'm working on a big project right now. That's a big secret. But the next like duology that I have scheduled and is already like you can find it on Goodreads and all that is this project called Fallen City. And I don't know that that's what it will wind up being titled, but that's what we've been calling it for now. And it's another two book series. And it's really different than my first two duologies. It's a Greco-Roman inspired world. Very cool. And it all takes place in this like city under siege. And um, it's, it's fantasy. But it's and I can't like say hardly anything about it, but it is it does have a very different like presence and like aesthetic and there's like a more prominent magic. And then I have that one I was referring to with the big magic is something that I haven't sold yet, but it's the thing I know I'm going to work on as soon as I'm done with my contracts. So that one is like, you know, I can't say anything about it either because nothing has even happened with it. But that, <laughs> I feel but like it's there. It's waiting. That's like authordom, right? It's like just secret after secret. <laughs> and you're just like waiting to announce things. And by the time you can announce them, they're hardly even exciting anymore. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and then that project is the one that has it's like big, fantastical magic. And the world is, you know, much more complex. I think that one actually might wind up being a standalone. I'm not sure. So anyways, Mm. I always have a lot of projects at different stages in my brain. And so that's kind of like the lineup right now, finishing one, finishing a secret, then I'm going to be starting to finish my next duology. And then Hopefully my next YA will be this other one that's like waiting in the wings for me. Hmm. That's a lot of mystery. I know. I just like spoke for like three minutes and said nothing. About about like nothing. (laughs) Not that there wasn't nothing. Like I have this amazing stuff that I can't talk about, but it's great and it's coming. I can't wait. I can't wait for everything to be out in the open and just be able to talk more about everything. Well, and I love that, you know, I think, I think one of the wonderful things about you know, having a creativity that you connect with is you, it, you know, it allows you to satiate a curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you're like, each of your duologies so far have had completely different worlds, completely different feels. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're doing that again. You're like, oh, this is this is what I'm feeling right now, where I'm connecting or what sounds fun or what interest is, you know. So that's really cool. And it'll be really interesting to see the next project too. But I mean, we have, you know, we have Fable's Tale and namesakes just coming out. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be, you know, people will be able to lean into that for a while. Yeah, that's the crazy thing about publishing too, is that the author is on a totally different timeline than the reader. Yeah. So like, I finished Fable and Namesake, like a year, Namesake was finished like a year and a half ago or something. And now it's just, it's just now coming out. So <laughs> like, you've been sitting on that necklace secret for a year and a half and you haven't been able to talk about it. <laughs> I know for so long. So oh I'm, I'm so excited for people to read Namesake and just like hear their favorite parts and like just being able to finish her journey with her. And mm-hmm. then like that's 
that moment that I was talking about at the end that happens with her and her relationship with Saint. And then, you know, the last lines of the book I love so much. So I feel like there's just, there's so much that I'm excited for readers to like open the cover and start reading. Like, I think your post, you did an Instagram post, you said it was like Christmas morning. Like you have that like excitement of like, oh my God, it's it's almost here. I know, I Um, do. I do feel like that. Well, and I love that too, because I'm friends with enough authors that I get to hear like the flip side of it and where it's like, oh my God, I've read this draft 1800 Mm -hmm. times because of the edits and they're so over it and they don't want to read it a single another line and they're like, they hate their project, you know, but then obviously it comes together, it gets taken out of their hands, you know spit polished and put pretty covers on and now now the world is out for us to read and we're reminding you of why the magic was there in the first place which I love that because authors can be like oh yes this is why I wrote this book this is why I do this you know which I love because it's like you're in the trenches sometimes and you forget Mm -hmm. that there's this bigger emotional connection happening sometimes yeah definitely and I fable is fable and namesake they're such a rare a rare thing, I think, for a writer where I have, I've just always been in love with this story and these books and these characters. And I just like to an almost like unrealistic extent have just never doubted them. Like where Mm. before Fable came out, I told my critique partner and she laughs about this all the time. She always brings this up. I was like, people are, people are crazy if they don't like this book. Like, I like, I don't even, I'm not even worried about it because this book is so good. And it's just like all of my favorite things in the book. So it's like, I wrote my favorite book type thing. And I think it's really hard to feel like that about your work. And I don't know if I'll ever feel that way again, because it is so rare. So I've just relished it, you know, like I've really relished the experience of fable and namesake and just like, letting letting myself be just truly excited about the books and you know I feel I almost feel like people saying negative things I almost it almost can't even touch me (laughs) because I love them so you don't you don't know you're not the people who know like you're not (laughs) understanding fable like Like, (laughs) it's just this deep deep denial that anyone could not like it I mean, you know, book one was very well received. And since book two is basically book one, part two, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think it will be hopefully, I mean, like I said, it, it takes the story and it just adds more to it. It adds more to these characters and these struggles and these dynamics that we've already experienced. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think readers, people who are fans of a fable are, I think, really going to enjoy Namesake. I really do. Yeah, I think so too. And I'm... I'm just excited for it to be out there and, you know, hopefully one day I will get to like experience this all over again, like with Mm. another project where that connection's just really, you know, like the stars aligned or whatever. So it'll be interesting to to poke your brain about this in like 10 years, for example, because you know how like, like I, you know, I'll look at things I did five, six, seven years ago and I'm like, oh, because I could I'm, I'm more experienced now. I'm more skilled. And I know mm-hmm. writers every time they read their books are like, oh, I want to change that line or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like you also have to I look at my work that I have wor- old work hanging on my wall still. And I'm like, at the moment, that is the best I could do. And I gave my heart to that project. Mm-hmm. And so like even if I look at it and there's a part of me that's like, oh, I could re-edit that or I could make it better. 
it, it was the best it could be in that moment. And there's still that little bit of magic because of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, to me, that's a very healthy way to look at it because it, I really have that perspective too, where I am a perfectionist and I am, mm. I'm a very hard worker. I'm very driven. So I know like when I walk away from a project, I know that I gave it my all. And so even though I can look at it later with a critical eye and things are never perfect to me. And I, every page of all of my books, I would probably change something on. That's like how critical I am of my own work. Mm. But even though I feel that way, I can also, because I know myself, I can, I can say that to myself where I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know what, that's, that's exactly where I was in this moment. And I gave it everything. Like my heart is in the book, even if my heart is like different now, or my talent and my, you know, writing ability is stronger, whatever, like that book is, it really is like a little time capsule of like who you were as a writer at that time. And you can never go back to it. Like you'll never be that writer again. So I, I feel like it is kind of like this timeline, you know, rather than, oh my God, I wish I would have been better at this, or I would have done that better because we'll probably all feel like that about all of our books forever. forever. Yeah. 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 You're right. It's like a snapshot of you as a person and as a creator and as a writer and as a, you know, plotter and everything about the creation of that story. That's just like a, like a glimpse of that moment, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm just saying it'll be interesting if like I get to talk to you in like a decade, be Mm -hmm. like, so dude, how do you feel about those books now? Is it the same thing? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just, it's just something interesting to think about. It is. Before we go, I always like to ask authors if they've read anything good lately. It doesn't necessarily have to be sci-fi fantasy because mm-hmm. I know my reader, my listeners read across the board, but I always like to get book recs if you have any. Yeah. You know, I kind of, I took a scheduled break last week where I didn't work at all for a week, which is very rare for me. Wow. And I fell down this Jane Harper hole. She's a Australian, an Australian author, and she writes like crime thriller, small, kind of like small town character driven mysteries and they're so good. I'm so addicted. I am trying to get through all of her books. I think she has five right now and she has a new one that just came out. And so I'm working my way through her books right now. And they're so good. I feel like they're, especially for writers, I feel like they're great character studies Mm. and she handles mystery really well. So I've been really into those. And then I also, this is totally different because I think I've, I've read so much fantasy right now that I've kind of been looking to these other genres to like cleanse my palate. Exactly. That's um, why I said that at the beginning. Like, it don't yeah. feel like you have to say only fantasy or sci-fi because yeah. yeah, it's like, what are you connecting with? Right. And so like the other thing I just read Today, Tonight and Tomorrow by R- Rachel Lynn Solomon. It's a contemporary rom-com, young adult, and she's a phenomenal writer. She's a very like emotional and funny writer. Mm. And so I feel like that was so, felt so fresh to read And then in the contemporary fantasy department, I also just read The Nature of Witches, which is by Rachel Griffin. That's a young adult that's coming out this summer. And I just read that and that felt so fresh. It just like kind of felt like a whole new like wind of a book type thing. Mm. I feel like it's probably going to do really well. It's going to find a lot of readers. But that was a great one too. I mean, especially considering witches are a trope that have been 
explored many times, you know, like to have something feel fresh is always wonderful to read. Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of in YA. It's had a little bit of a lull the last couple of years. Like there was a yeah, billion, oh, billion witch books. And now it's like, it's been a little quiet. And so I feel like this book has got pretty good timing coming out mm. that way. But yeah, it's, it's, they're like elemental witches, but it's kind of told through this lens of global warming and like the fate of the earth and everything and like the role they're yes. playing in that, which I thought was really interesting. So I remember reading the blurb for this and thought it sounded really cool. Yeah, it is. It's a really cool one. Those are great recs. I love those. Those are all awesome recommendations. Thank you. You're welcome. Adrian, this was a freaking delight. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, I, I could talk all day. <laughs> I could too, but I'm like, just like, I, I, I love, you know, and this is no critique of any person or me or anything, but like some, some interviews are more surface level. And I feel like we really went deeper with this one, which is like totally my jam. So oh, yeah, I'm an Enneagram four. So like going <laughs> deep for me is just like food for my soul. I'm like, Same. Oh, this person wants to go deep. Yes, let's go. Same. I know. I'm always like pondering the universe with like strangers. I barely know. Like tell me what your, your, <laughs> yeah. you know, worldview and goals in life are. And people are like, what's your name? Like, What do you think the meaning of life is? <laughs> They're like, um, I'm by just the way, hi, I'm my Lauren. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I just I just think there was kind of to tie in with what we were saying. I feel like there was a lot of heart in this in this interview, in this conversation. And I'm really glad we got to dig into, you know, kind of your insight and your your stories. I, I have a, a bookstagram friend who is a fan of yours. And I messaged her before this and was like, hey, do you have any questions? And she was like, yeah, I really want to know like her inspiration. And like, so just hearing how your stories evolve and how you connect to things is was such an interesting tale. And I think that listeners are really going to enjoy that. So yeah. thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a really fun interview. Great. Thanks for listening, guys. Tune back in next week when we have a new guest. Don't forget, you can support us on Patreon and you can check out our Ink Feather shop on Etsy. But for now, this is Lauren and Adrian signing out. Bye. Bye, guys.